Woo. All right, kids can be dismissed. The youth, the youths. I think we can just go home. I don't want to clutter the good work that has just happened. That was amazing. Thank you, Joe and Jackie. One more time. Thank you guys for offering your beautiful voices. And I love the, the simple set sometimes, because then as I'm standing here, I can hear everybody's voice, you know? And it just cuts through all the clutter in my heart and somehow just brings me, brings me back. Um, can you turn my mic down just a little bit? Or the gain, or it just feels. All right, so this morning my hope is to dive into um, the teachings of Jesus once again. And um, it's nice to see all you guys, for those of us who are here. Hopefully we can go out and enjoy, enjoy the snow after. But um, I was working on this, this message, and it's really simple. And I hope just like the simplicity allows us all to, to put it into practice. Um, but sometimes the simplest things are the hardest to convey. So we'll, we'll do our best. But, um, you know, there was a time when Jesus was so popular. Like, people just, like, flocked to him. You know, he was the most famous guy you could ever hear of, you know. And I think that was the problem was because, like, when Jesus would teach and people would hear about it, you know, everyone would come. And I just picture, like, being on a mountainside, just so thirsty to hear something from this guy that supposedly knows how life works. And he had answers, you know. He had wisdom. He had um, teaching, and he, he had the gift to heal with a touch. And I just imagine, like, you know, just everyone flocking and looking around, and, and maybe that's where the offense maybe started to come in, is because everyone was, was there. And maybe, I think at the time, it's like not everybody should be worthy to sit at the feet of the Master, you know? But everybody came, and I just think that's how compelling Jesus' vision of life was. Like, it applied to everyone. And um, so, like, I was just kind of picturing this, what, what it would look like if, if I, you know, like, just to make it real, if I'm looking for an answer, like, you know, I have a relationship in my life that I just can't, you know, bridge the gap. I just, I just can't make peace with it. And so I just picture myself, like, running to where I think this master teacher is saying what I need to hear. And I go and just pit, you know, whatever your guys' problem is, um, just, just try to imagine that right now. Like, maybe it's really big. I imagine it's big. We all got big problems. And going to him, and I imagine, you know, you sit down to listen to the master. And it's almost like, have you ever gone to a conference that costs some money and you traveled and you were really anticipating to hear what you need, right? You know what I mean? Nope. I'm totally off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, like you're anticipating this plan, you know? So, you know, I'd get there and I would want to hear like, okay, this year, you know, maybe this is like the New Year's message and I'd get there and he would give you the, you know, the instruction. And I picture Jesus saying like, okay, everyone, let's get motivated. Let's wake up every morning. If you can wake up every morning at 4 a.m., read your Bible. We're going to read the entire Bible in 365 days. And we're going we're gonna to focus on eating good food. So we're going to all do Whole30 or maybe even gnarlier. We're all going to fast for a month, you know, for 40 days. And I just, you know, we're trying to solve the human condition. So I imagine it, you know, we need a, we need a pretty significant plan, right? And this is the shocker, and this is the paradox, is Jesus would sit down to teach, and he would talk about doing the dishes. And that, this, is, this is my title of the message today, because this is what we're going to look at, a lesson in washing dishes. And it, it, this is the paradox, is because somehow... Jesus knew that he didn't need some extraordinary example, you know, and it makes me kind of nervous when, when you hear big authors sell a lot of books or a big conference, and the first thing they say is, I had a vision, you know, and God took me up to heaven, you know, and they tee it up to this extraordinary reason when, you know, so we see that, but then when we see the Son of God himself he, he would very, I don't know if he ever used really radical examples. And this challenges me as a pastor because I'm like, okay, it's time to teach. Got to get their, their attention, you know, let's bring the radical example. And it's like, okay, I want to follow Jesus' example. Let's talk about dishes. <laughs> it's like, nobody's going to listen, but that's what we're going to do. So if you guys will open up your Bibles with me, um, we're going to dive into Matthew 23. And uh, read a few verses in here. And I think that, you know, as we go into the week, as we think about this, um, this is one of my favorite lessons. Like, this is one of my favorite topics or sections of Scripture I've ever dug into. Because how many of us do dishes? I hope everyone raises their... I hope you're not just making one person in your household wash the dishes. (laughs) So... Let's, let's jump right into it. And, and if you guys are taking notes, maybe just write this down, that sometimes the, the most significant life change doesn't happen from a lofty goal, but it actually happens just by getting really focused in something very simple. So that's kind of where we're going. But let's, read, let's read the text. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, this is what I was telling you guys about. He's on a mountainside teaching. Everyone is there. And it's, this is one of the more intense um, scenes of the New Testament when Jesus is talking pretty harsh. And um, he's going to say seven warnings and um, things we got to really watch out for. And actually, Jesus is pretty mad, like, and I, I can trust it when Jesus is mad because he sees, you know, we can trust. When Jesus is angry, there's probably a good reason. And he's, he's teaching this with some force. So Jesus said to the crowds, to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees 
They sit in Moses' seat. You know, it's very... Um, you know, a pastor's role is very holy, I guess. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they don't practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Um, I, I just wanted to say right here that Dallas Willard has a quote. Um, if you guys want to read in the back, what's that book? Practicing, or what's it called? Living in the Presence of Christ, one of the best books. Some of you guys are reading it. In that book, Dallas Willard says, this is how you know you're moving from truth into religion, is it wears you out. So life, the, the, t- the teachings of life give life. It's obvious. <laughs> so if what you're doing for your religious practice is wearing you out, you're in religion. Jesus is saying it himself. The teachers of religion at the time, they're giving these big messages. They're giving these instructions to people to get clean. How do you get clean? How do you wash away your past? How do you come close to God? And it's, it's heavy stuff. Like, it's taxing. You know, even Paul says uh, in a verse, you know, it sounds really awesome to go to a church that is very strict, and it takes a lot of discipline to be a part of that church. But guess what? That Jesus says that's your reward is just getting worn out. That's all you're going to get out of it. <laughs> so I, this is part of the things of Creekside. A fundamental teaching is the easy yoke. You know, we know we're following Jesus when it's light. As soon as you start feeling the shackles, just choose another way. <laughs> you know, it's it's very hard to do, but it's very simple. So, anyways, he's going to explain it. This is why it's heavy, because everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. He's talking about their clothes. You know, they're, they're wearing the gear, you know. And um, just that phrase, everything they do is done for people to see. And uh, it's just like, man, I, I wonder what it would be like to live in a culture where it's like, something's not significant unless you take a picture of it for everyone to see. <laughs> it's like, everything they do is for people to see. I wonder, do, we, we almost have this message that unless people see it, it's not significant. You know, do you have hidden treasures? You know, like hidden things nobody sees, and it means a lot to you, and that's okay. And guess what? Nobody needs to see it. This is a beautiful thing to like start to recognize, man, I'm carrying a heavy burden of always needing people to see my actions. If I wash the dishes, hey, 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 everyone, I'm doing dishes. Aren't you going to thank me? That's heavy for the per- that's heavy for me. And so we're dealing with the same stuff. We'll just keep going. Um Maybe just write down in your notes, is, 
do I, you know, do I feed off of doing things that will never be seen? What's another way to say that? You guys can twist it in the way that helps you. But I challenge you to do, I would say have, have a passion for something that no one will ever see. It's awesome. Nobody needs to know about it. Nobody needs to know how good you are. And when you do something in hidden, this is actually a principle that Jesus talks about. Do it, do it in secret because when you do that with certain things, God fills you from the inside. And that's what we're looking for all along, right? So, anyways, these, these pastors, these teachers, they love the place of honor at the banquets, the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi. Who's Jesus? I'm sure these rabbis are sitting in this crowd as well. For you have one teacher. You're all brothers and sisters. Okay. Go back, one, go back to that last verse. And um, if you guys just read this section on your own time, the next few verses, they're very amazing and very helpful. Um, but I'm going to just focus on one of these warnings as we go forward. But this whole topic of when, when Jesus stands up in front of all the people, religious, unreligious, and he says, you guys are all the same. Um, he then goes and says, None of you guys are teachers. There's one teacher. And for me, that's very awkward to stand up here and read that verse <laughs> as a teacher. Right? Like, this, this creates an uncomfortable moment for a pastor. It's like, oh, I'm going to stand up and teach this week. And I'm going to read a verse that straight says, sit down. <laughs> sit down. You know, and I wonder... I wonder what would happen in Christianity if we stopped elevating our pastors so high. You know, take them off the pedestal. Guess what? They aren't the voice of God. And Jesus explains this. There's only one voice of God, and that's God. <laughs> and who has access to God? This is very awkward. If in some circles. And I would say, even for me, I'm like, oh, I don't know how to teach, I don't know how to read this. Let's just skip this one. And I think a lot, a lot, we have skipped it for about 200 years of church history. We've skipped this. What if you guys, we all viewed each other as fellow practitioners of the way of Christ? And some of us think about it more than others, you know. And we, we can help each other, and I, I can come up here and I can share, like, this is what I'm learning, but guess what? I am not the voice of God. Some people get very angry with me because I say something they don't agree with and because I'm, I'm supposed to be the voice of God. Jesus says right there, I'm a fellow brother. We are on the same level, my friends. <laughs> and just imagine in the, in the culture at this time when there is major status to the religious leaders and they get access in the temple to the holy of holies. There is major, what's it called, like a caste system. 
Is that what you're thinking? Hierarchy? Or what are you thinking? Bipartisan, democratic. I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's major, we're all the same, you guys. I don't care if you're red or blue or purple or green, you know? So instead of like me trying to like feel, feel bad about it, I kind of just wanted to place that out there, you know, for all of us to just say, yeah, you know, maybe I did put Gordy on too much of a pedestal. And I'm not talking about like not respecting, like respect. And I, I, I sit and listen to Gordy. He's lived years, you know. There's wisdom. There's respect. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this weird idolatry that we put our pastors and our leaders in the place of God. So, if I may, I'm just going to step off that pedestal right now. <laughs> Feels good. <laughs> so, anyways, let's, let's dive into our, into our focus our teaching right here. So this is a few verses down. He says, Woe to you teachers and of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites, kind of saying, you, you guys are a bunch of actors. You guys are acting. You don't really have peace. You guys don't really have joy. You're acting like it, but you don't. The, the, the goal isn't to look like you got it. The goal is to actually have it. <laughs> Sit down, actors. And now he's going to teach. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish. Then the outside, it just nat- will also be clean. And keep going. And I just wanted to end on this verse because he reads a few more woes. But in verse 37, we really see Jesus' heart. Because it's easy for me to get self-righteous and be like, you self-righteous pastors, actors, you know. But that's not Jesus' heart, how he's teaching. That's never his heart. This is his heart. He's like, I just see him like weeping. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned the very ones who can bring you life. How often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you're not willing. Is that an alarm or some kind? Somebody, somebody's car. It's probably River pushed my key button or something. Um, You know, and before we go into the, the teaching, I just, I really wanted us to see that the reason, I don't know, who, who's it? Uh, it's okay. Eventually. Last night I was um, trying to go to sleep, and it was one in the morning, and there was a group of kids just laughing and being crazy. And I got out of my bed, it was one in the morning, got so caught up in it, I ended up calling the police <laughs> just to save me from being the one to go out there and shut it. I was like, okay, I'm at least gonna. So, anyways, I'm. It's been a series of just like getting super wound up on distraction. <laughs> so we can do this. Um, but yeah, the, the phrase I wanted just to land on is, um, what's the reason that the people couldn't find life? 
What's the reason? They couldn't be embraced by God. God is longing to embrace like all the people, but they're not willing. And this, this just jumped out to me because how many times do we think that God, God is choosing, I've lost my chance with God? You know? Actually, we're the ones who are shutting it down. We're the ones shutting down an opportun- our opportunity for peace. And I, I think it's just because, one, is we don't know where to get it. That's why it's so important to listen to Jesus. But two is we just have false beliefs. Did you know that God embraces you? You know? He, he longs for this. He weeps for this. But it's us. It's on our side, which is awesome because that's empowering, you know? Once we realize that, we can, we can shift our hearts. So, um, so that's, that's the direction we're going. Jesus is, is talking about if, if you want transformation in your life, um, if you want to change your life, you're going to do it by... This is so distracting. Oh, it's the building. That's right. Maybe a fire alarm test or something. This is the story of my days. <laughs> Just can't get away from it. Crazy. Welcome, welcome. It's a moment to practice. Um, but yeah, so, so what, let's just kind of sum this up real quick in an easy way. If you want to change your life, Jesus pretty much says, change the way you're washing dishes. You can see it in the sink right there. If you want to change your life, and here's, here's the paradox of the week. I just want to, uh, you know, you have that slide. I wrote down a little paradox of the week. <laughs> you can change what your life looks like by not focusing on what your life looks like. Like, and this is the hard part, is that appearance, appearance is powerful. Appearance is what we want to change, and appearance is what we try to fix. And then we try to fix appearance, and you end up just getting stuck in the weeds. And especially in a culture that's obsessed with appearance. It's all about appearance. You know, should I, should I preach with a hat or not? I don't know. This was a, this wasted emotional energy for me this morning. It was like, oh, what if, what if somebody thinks, you know, what if somebody can't listen to me because I'm wearing this? You know, I don't know. Is that important to you? Is my appearance important to you? Oh, should I wear this fly jacket I bought for preaching? How important is it? How important is appearance to you? You know, like, think of first appearances when you meet someone. How fast do you judge them? Oh, Jesus is saying, hey, that's not how you get to the the core of life. If you want transformation, that's not how we get it. So the other, this was last week. I was standing back there by the coffee, and I started walking this way. And... um, (laughs) This is so funny. 
and Joe, my wife, was standing right by the sound booth, and she didn't see me, so Joe was facing, you know, this direction, and I was back there in the corner. This is after church. She didn't know I was there, and I, I saw this as my opportunity to do a funny joke, you know? So Joe's standing there, just, you know, minding her own business, and I'm kind of walking up, and right as I walk up to her, I kind of, like, put my hand on her back, and the second she turns around, I just laid a big old smooch right on her. Bam! <laughs> Before she even recognized it. And when I kissed her with my eyes open, just to make sure that, you know, because it was fast. I didn't want to, like, smash face or nothing. So I gave her the surprise kisseroo. And when I kissed her, her eyes were so big, and she had such a strong reaction that suddenly a flood of fear just, like, whoom, rose up in me. And I, I had the doubt in my head. I was like, did I just kiss the right person? Because <laughs> we were close, and she was so scared, and it, it threw me off. The look of her face, I was like, oh, no. And I literally had that feeling. I was like, man, that's the last thing Creekside needs is, you know, stories of like, yeah, that's the church that surprise kisses each other. It's like, oh. You know, because appearance, even as sure as I was, and I had time, and I calculated, once it came down to it, just the appearance of it, it made me second-guess everything. And this is the power of appearance. And I also want us to hear, it's easy when we talk about these teachings to say, appearance is evil. It's not. It's just not where transformation happens. There's nothing wrong with outward expression. And I think this is a place where the, you know, through church history, we've had to navigate it a little bit. You know, like some people said, we're going to completely forget appearance. And you're not close to God unless you totally become looking exactly the same as everybody else. You know, thus school uniforms or, you know, any spiritual teacher has to shave their head, you know, things like this, or have long hair or whatever. It's like, through the ages, we want to say Jesus, Jesus likes this and is against this. He's not saying that. Like, you guys spending time on what you wore this morning is awesome. I'm not saying. Like, it's expression. It's creativity. It's how, it's how we can share a message to the world. And I think it's important to have that freedom. So... Let me, let me say that about appearance. And, um, but we have to recognize how powerful it is. And, and once you recognize that, you have to know how to go underneath it. So Jesus has this teaching. I think this is one of his core teachings in all the New Testament. And he has a phrase for it. And I want to just give you guys a little clue into this phrase so you can look around for it. This isn't the only place Jesus talks about it. In Matthew 5, he literally starts the Sermon on the Mount with this phrase. And he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me, let me give Dallas Willard's um, translation of this verse just a little bit. You know, unless your life goes beyond what the teachers are doing, um, you can't experience the kingdom of heaven. And we've taught this in, this in the church. I'm not going to hunker down on it big today. 
But to Jesus, the kingdom of heaven isn't the place you go when you die. The kingdom of heaven is experienced right now. And it's going to fill the earth. And it's filling the earth right now. The seed is planted. The kingdom of heaven is something we experience right now and goes beyond death. But for somehow we forgot that we thought that it was just about, I got to get in, I got to get in, I got to get in. The kingdom of heaven is a reality of existence where there is abundant joy, abundant peace. Jesus is teaching us how to enter that life of peace, that life of love. You see, and to do that, you, there is a strong requirement. How, what you do matters, my friends. This is a mistake as well. I don't want to keep saying that because I'm not trying to go against anything. I think it, it took all, everything that's come for us to get to this point. It's good. But I think we need to do a shift here. Um, can we put up that one more Dallas Willard quote? I'm obsessed with Dallas today. We're seeing that human soul, that the human soul hungers for transformation, for wholeness and holiness, is sick and dying without it, and that it will seek it wherever it may, even if it destroys itself in the process. We're desperately looking for joy, you guys. That's why you're willing to work 300 days out of the year in a cubicle. We want joy. That's all we want. We think it's over here. We think it's over here. That's why we get married. That's why we get divorced. That's why we have families. That's why we don't. We're trying to find peace, all of us. We're desperate for it. And he says, we're seeing that the church betrays itself and its world if it fails to make clear. Um, it's supposed to be, the, I think, the accessible. Wait, make clear and accessible the path of thoroughgoing inner transformation through Christ. So here's the point. I'm putting my hat back on. Because it's all about appearance. <laughs> the church needs to make a shift. It's not about the outward appearance. It, it, it's all, appearance shows things and it is good. That's not where transformation is found in appearance. No matter what you wear, no matter what your computer screen says when you pull up your bank account, it's not in the external. The peace you're looking for is inside the dish. It's inside the cup. And so, um, and if you, if you don't believe me that this is like one of the big messages of Jesus, just, you know, Abby, <laughs> River's so cute. Oh my gosh. Um, if, can you put up the, those three verses I have? I just want us to see this a little bit in the other parts of the scripture as well. Um, this is talking about, you know, just those church disciplines. Those church disciplines. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in actual transformation. This is Paul in Colossians 2, 23. We got to get below appearance. The next, next verse was nice. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. 
what is seen, we, I don't know how we get away from this because it's so powerful. We, we make decisions in our life by what is seen. Where do you live? How the house looks, usually, you know, that's a big part of it. You know, where are you going to work? Who are you going to marry? This is something that I had to get over. It's not about the Tinder profile, you know. If you're looking for a, a good spouse or a good partner in life, if you let appearance guide you too much, you're going to miss out on some serious gold. King David himself, why didn't anybody recognize that he was the coming king? Because it said, you know, you know that classic verse. You guys know this verse, 1 Samuel. Somebody, because man looks at the outward appearance, and where does God, what does God got his pulse on? The heart, because it didn't matter how tall David was. That didn't have anything to do with his ability to lead an entire nation and become king. It had nothing to do with what you could see on the outside. The power of your life, you guys, is on the inside, which is hard because you can't see. So how much can you tell of your calling in life by looking in the mirror? How many decisions have you shut yourself, like, how many decisions have you, have you denied or turned away from because you looked in the mirror and a voice started going? You can't do that. If you think it's all about outward appearance, your value, oh, dude, the, the power, Jesus, or David had a lot of good brothers. The reason he could become king is because what was in his heart. This is very empowering to me, too, because how much can you change about your outward appearance? And how, how much can you change about how tall you are? How much can you change about your skin color? So why do we judge people based on that? <laughs> we had nothing to do with that. And God's calling lies inside of the dish. Think about the dishes. We got to get to the inside first. Why are you judging if someone's a good friend, like someone to get to know or not, based on how they look? Did, did you know that if we, if, if we didn't get past this, we would have never recognized Jesus? It says very clearly in the Bible there was nothing in his appearance to draw us to him. And so I wonder how many people would ask him out for coffee. You know? So it's just, it's very freeing for me to, to kind of let this sift through. And I was kind of thinking about this even as I'm washing dishes. You know, I'm just sitting over the sink. You know, grab the scrub. You know, washing, thinking about, it's about the inside. It's the inside of the cup. What if God's calling an opportunity for you, you you're not going to be able to see on the outside? What do you need to listen to? It's on the inside. Oh, pastor, pastor's wearing this. He's wearing that. He talks like this. He uses that language. Does, is, the, is the heart, is the message there? 
And, you know, we'll probably come back to this. And I, I laid out kind of how do we get past appearance? How are we going to get... How, how do you guys have a plan in your life to not allow appearances to be your compass? And I just want to put out one little tip that usually your, your, uh, a quick judgment is always appearance. Your quick judgment, it's always based on the external things, if it's quick, whether it's a strong feeling or a strong conclusion or a judgment. And I wanted to just challenge our community to take up the, the craft of something I call sand writing. Sand writing. Is there a slide of that? I just wrote it. Ah, sorry. Sand, sand writing. Not writing. Sand writing. This is going to help us have cushion in the, in the moment of making those fast judgments based on appearance, based on the, the, the seeing of things. Let me tell you the story. John chapter 8. Um, the Pharisees throw a prostitute in front of Jesus. There's a big crowd. People are fighting. You know, some say, stone her. Some say, no, let her go. They throw her in front of Jesus in the moment. Lay your judgment, Jesus. And there's a lot of controversy about what takes place right here. But one thing we know for sure takes place is that Jesus didn't make a judgment at all. He just started riding in the sand. <laughs> you can't, like, you're in the moment. Your kid thinks this. Your spouse thinks this. Which is it? Which is it? If you want to get below the surface and make a good decision here and have good discernment, you got to write in the sand for a little bit. You know what I mean? This is very hard to do. You have somebody walks in the door. Immediately, you're like, oh, I don't like this person. They're wearing this T-shirt. Oh, I gotta write, I'm going to write in the sand a little bit. And because patience takes you underneath the surface. This is really amazing practice. And Jesus does it a lot. And he even tells us, um, Abby, do you have that Matthew 7? It's okay, I can just say it as we're coming to a close. Same sermon. You know Jesus' instructions to us? Oh, it's so hard to tell who's, who's good, who's not, who's right, who's wrong. You know Jesus' instruction for you? Do not judge. Do not judge. We try to get fancy with that. We're like, oh, what does that mean? i got to make decisions. What about? There's a difference between discernment and judgment. Surrender judging people because you don't know. That's just the homeless guy. Actually, that's the son of God in the flesh. <laughs> God, reality is different than we think, you guys. It is. There is little. The treasure's all around us. We're just caught in appearance. We're caught. And I don't know how to say strongly enough, we're caught. You know, what we're longing for is here. We're just, we're caught in appearance. Do not judge. Ooh, 
Woo. Oh man, that church down the street, I heard this story. What the heck is Seth doing? He's like, huh? <laughs> Seth, what do you think about the current political climate of the, this decision and what's going on? Are you going to hang out with that person and allow him to come over to your house? I heard he doesn't wear a mask. Scribble, 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 scribble. Scribble. That's what Jesus says to do. Don't judge. Let it play out. It's not my job. It's not my job. I don't know, man. It's like that. You know, when I stand up here, there's a lot of opportunities for me to judge. I can see everyone, all these different people, all these different looks, all these different ages and vibes. That's not, don't judge based on that. Let's see how it plays out. This person is going to be a great spiritual leader. That's a judgment. You know, so my challenge to us is sand writing. <laughs> Become very good at it. People will think you're so weird. Just like, and since we don't have sand around us, you know, like what we do have... Maybe someone asks you a judgment question, you just start looking like you're texting. <laughs> I'm just kind of disengaging. And it was, it's kind of offensive what Jesus did. He, like, ignored the tension. He didn't get swept up in it. He kept his heart. He kept his connection to God. Didn't matter how pressing the entire stressful moment was. He didn't need to get caught in it. So he sand writes. And so I just want to close as Joe comes up and Jack, um, just, just with one, one story of <clears throat> um, in the same way we overlook people, I think we overlook our own value based on appearance. And if, who in here has a really important job in society? Raise your hand if you have a very important job in society. Raise your hand if you don't have a very important job. Raise your hand if you did a very important task yesterday, like very significant, like preaching the word of God. Who, who evangelized yesterday? Here's, here's my challenge to you guys. There's a book in the back by Brother Lawrence. And if you open that book, it's one of the greatest spiritual teachings of the last 500 years. And if you open that book, you're not going to see a plan to do a prayer vigil. You're not going to see a Bible reading plan. You're not going to see, do you know what he talks about? The power of doing dishes. Do you know what's a very significant spiritual act? Washing the dishes. And he, he talks about this. He talks about as, as he washes the dishes, as he slows... He's not trying to just get it done, like, oh, whoa, there's a big stack there. Whoa, whoa. He's, he's just like, I'm going to enjoy this water. I'm going to feel the warmth. I'm going to suds it up, take a bowl. First, he slows down. You know what Brother Lawrence says? If you learn how to do dishes with God, guess what will become your greatest... You know, advice giver, God. 
as you wash, wash dishes. God will, if we learn how to, and I, I like it too because it's not just washing dishes. It's even scraping the snow off our car. And when I was, I'll just close with this. When, when, I, when we, me and Jack were missionaries in a village, and we really wanted to transform the culture. We really wanted to bring the love of Christ into this community. You know, we're going we're gonna to do some very big things like let's evangelize to everyone and let's, let's fundraise for a big project. And you know what was one of the most powerful things we did in the village? Let me just lay it out real quick. Fijians, one of my favorite parts of living in a village is on Sunday, everybody has church and then everybody feasts together. They feast and they have their whole system dialed. Like, and it was so fun. Like, I would go out on Saturday with the other pastor. His name was Taniella. We'd catch fish, you know, until the night. We'd get a big stock of fish. And then the next day, we'd cook up fish. We'd serve fish. And I would get to give a teaching. It's like, this, this was so cool. To see, to, and it felt so amazing to like, let's feed the people physically and spiritually, it felt so good. And I'm like, we're doing it, man. You know, this is what, you know, and we're praying for people and all this. And honestly, I don't know. I don't remember what did it. Maybe Jack can answer. But one of the most powerful things we did was when they would feast, just imagine a group this size, actually more. There's like 100, 100, yeah, probably this size. I don't know. And um, just imagine all of us eating fish. There's fish bones. There's plates. There's a big mess. Think how long that takes to do. Actually, it didn't take very long because they have a system. And what they always had was in the back of the room was two ladies sitting at a big pot of water. And one had a towel. One had a big pot of water. Two pots of water. One soap, one rinse, one wash. And this is what always happened, you guys. And I want to say this very respectfully in case some of my Fijian friends ever hear this. But in their culture, their, their Christianity is caught up in Matthew 23. The, the pastors feast. At, they feast first and they relax. They sit in the front. They eat the most food. You know who gets the scraps, if any? The kids and the women. The men eat first, and I'm sitting in this village, we're missionaries, and I'm reading this passage like, oh, this is very uncomfortable, because I was getting swept up as a Pharisee. That described me. I was like, oh, church is going to be awesome, I'm going to feast, and then I'm going to take a nap. And one day after church, we sat there, and I looked at this whole process, and I hope I can convey how radical this was, but one day we decided... See those two ladies back there washing dishes? We're going to go take their place. I prom- this, has, this has never been seen. I'd never heard or seen of any male, especially male pastor, sitting in the back of the room washing the dish. And it was radical. I've, it made a splash. It caused reaction. It, it made some people weep. It made some people mad. When the pastors got up, you know, and went back and sat down to do a role that they're not supposed to, it's too low. It's too low for, for them. 
And it became our strategy. And um, you can kind of give me a little noodle. It says we close. Like, um, seriously, you guys, if you want to bring the Spirit of God into an entire village, you know what God told me? Do the dishes. <laughs> if you want to bring the Spirit of God into your house, your household, do the dishes like this. It's amazing, the spirit that comes into the room. By something as simple, no, we don't wash dishes. We need to do important work. No, Jesus says, that is the work. How you do one thing, how you do it is what makes it sacred. How you enter a conversation. Every conversation you have is sacred. You know, every word you speak to your child is sacred. The fights we get into, you know, the disagreements, they're going to be there. But we have a choice, like, this is getting heated. I'm going to practice sand writing. You know, end of the day, there was a lot of fighting, some disagreement. I'm just going to wash some dishes. I'm going to serve, you know. Oh my gosh, this is the power of God. And I just want to encourage you guys this week, if you want to change your life, change the way you wash the dishes.